Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Good afternoon, everyone. I would like to welcome you to our session for the Southern Alberta Council of Public Affairs. Uh, I would encourage you to turn off your cell phones. My name is Cameron McLennan. I look forward to the opportunity to moderate this session. Uh, The session is being recorded. We'd like to remind each of you that the cost for attendance today is $10. And if I could ask someone at each of the tables to take the responsibility for making that collection, uh, that would be very helpful. As you know, the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs is a volunteer, nonprofit organization and relies on the contributions of its members and session attendees to continue its work. Memberships are available for any of you who would like from Lisa. We'd also like to thank our partners, the University of Lethbridge, for its support, uh, Country Kitchen Catering for providing such great meals for us, Shaw TV for broadcasting the sessions, and the Lethbridge Media for its coverage of our sessions. Now, today, as you are well aware, we're going to have the opportunity to uh, listen to Dr. Lauren Taylor for 25 to 30 minutes. We'll have a break for lunch, and after lunch, we'll invite uh, those of you who are interested to pose some questions to Dr. Taylor. He has a a need to be in Calgary uh, still early this afternoon, so we're going to probably end our session questions a little earlier than we might otherwise, and we'll stop at about 1.20. Now, uh, the opportunity to have <coughs> Dr. Taylor here is, uh, is a wonderful one. He is <coughs> a tw- one of the 12-member uh, Premier's Council for Economic Strategy. That council has put together a report shaping Alberta's future, and he's going, to res- he's going to speak to us about that report, which was really designed as an economic analysis of where Alberta should be over the next 30 years. Dr. Taylor is a consultant and businessman residing in Medicine Hat. He's currently special advisor to Alberta WaterSmart, a nonprofit committed to developing and improving the management of Alberta's water resources. As a member of the Alberta Legislative Assembly from for Cypress Medicine Hat from 1993 to 2004, he served as Alberta's Minister of Science, Research, and Information Technology, as Minister of Innovation and Science, and as Minister of the Environment. While in government, Dr. Taylor was instrumental in the creation of the Alberta Ingenuity Fund and Alberta Supernet, a multi-million dollar high-speed broadband network to every community in Alberta. He was also responsible or um, instrumental in the development of Alberta's electronic recycling program and the creation of Alberta's Water for Life Strategy and Climate Change Action Plan. He holds a Ph.D. in educational psychology from the University of Calgary and has held tenured positions at several universities, among them the University of Saskatchewan, from where he eventually returned to his family's grain and cattle business. We'd like to give a warm Lethbridge welcome to Dr. Lauren Taylor. Uh, Thank you. I'm not standing between you and lunch. So I've been kindly left to watch here, so I will very clearly watch my time. I'm just going to set my water down over here. 
And I just wanted to show you this document. That's what the document looks like. <laughs> the report in the Alberta Premier's Council is a very thick, uh, detailed document. But it, it's really well done, I believe. Well, what else can I say? And it is a pleasure for me to be here and address you. I left the political arena in 2004, so actually November of 2004. So it's been seven years since I've uh, been actively involved in being an elected representative. But I can tell you, as a retired politician, you know, you have never, I've never seen a microphone I didn't love. So what I want to talk to you today about is the uh, Premier's Council report. And I'm going to just present a few ideas very briefly to you, because as you can see, it's quite a thick document. And I would encourage all of you to go take a look at the website. The address will be on the bottom here. And the address is very complex. And so I always, for me, it's easier for me to just Google Alberta Premier's Council report, and then it comes up. And I don't have to type in this long address that you're going to see. But the council was appointed by the previous premier, Premier Stelmack, and consisted of four world-class people, two Oxford professors, a billionaire from the U.S., and just high-level people, considered of four Canadians that you might know or have heard of. David Emerson was our chair, and he was a uh, former interesting guy because he was both a former liberal cabinet minister, federal liberal cabinet minister, and also a former uh, federal conservative cabinet minister. And uh, there's not many of those around. Uh, David Dodge, the former chair of the Bank of Canada, was uh, a member as well. Elise Allen, the current uh, chairman of GE, and another gentleman that you Courtney Pratt, you may or may not heard of. And then there were four Albertans. Anne McClellan, who was a former Cretchen cabinet member, Minister of Health and Minister of many other things. Uh, uh, Jim Gray, who was Hunter Exploration. Some of you may remember Hunter Exploration, big natural gas company. Bob Braun and Bob developed Turbo. Uh, all those turbo stations used to be around and sold it out. And uh, then myself. So that's who the committee was made up of. And the purpose of our report, we worked on it over a three-year period, and we listened, went out and met with a lot of Albertans, listened to a lot of Albertans, was to look at what Alberta's economy could look like 20 to 40 years down the road. And it's important to understand that we look... I won't be here 40 years down the road, and some of you may not be either. But it's uh, important for us to set a dynamic structure for our children and our grandchildren so they're not dependent on simply a boom and bust cycle of oil and agriculture. And so we had uh, came up with really five main themes that we uh, developed and said, you know, these are the themes that we think are important to Alberta. These are the themes that need to be discussed by Albertans. And the first theme was certainly recognizing the full potential of our energy resource. We are going to be a carbon-based economy for a long time because there is going to be demand for carbon, and we will be. So how do we go forward and recognize that potential? The second theme was broadening the economic base. The third theme was uh, preparing Albertans to prosper in a global economy. The fourth theme was preparing a strong platform to sustain economic growth and the fifth theme was investing in uh, shaping the Alberta Fund. Now, there's a lot of, you can see by the thickness of the document, there's a lot of verbiage, obviously, around these themes. And when you prepare a report for government, if it's all verbiage and nothing concrete in it, nothing 
It's easy to ignore, right? Oh, well, there's no concrete suggestions here. Easy to ignore. And so as well as developing these broad themes, for each theme, we developed a very concrete flagship initiative. And we said if the government would only begin to take action, if Albertans would only begin to take action on each of these or some of these flagship initiatives, it could fundamentally change the nature of what Alberta's economy could look like. And so what I intend to do today is not talk about the broader themes, simply because of the time constraints, but talk about briefly some of the five flagship initiatives. I'll briefly mention just three of them and spend a little more time on the last two uh, because the last two are, are the ones that have generated the most uh, discussion and some controversy, which is good because it gets people talking about the uh, what Alberta's economy could look like. So first of all, we have to recognize that Alberta's economy is in a larger world context. We live in a highly connected global grid. And, you know, there is a growing demand for our energy, but there is also a huge emphasis on environmental concerns. We've had an example of that this very week, or last week, on the Keystone Pipeline. The American Federalist Pipeline was going to go south and take all our, or not all of them, but was going to double to double the amount of bitumen that was going south, this Keystone Pipeline, what happened to it? It's been shut down at least till after the election, and who knows if it'll ever go forward. So, and why was it shut down? Because the environmental concerns that the pipeline was going to run over a huge water aquifer, a sand-based water aquifer. And so it's done, folks, for now. We don't know what will happen in the future, but it is shut down. And why was it shut down? growing environmental concerns that we in Alberta, all of us in Alberta, have not taken an appropriate account of. So the other thing we have to recognize in Alberta is the new sense of geography. And if you look at this chart, it's maybe a little hard to see, but the bottom one, two, one, two, three uh, different colors, the dark green, the light green, and the goldy color, I would call. Well, my wife says I don't have very good color differentiation, so you can call them whatever color you want. You can see the growth, and that's the growth of the middle class in various parts of the world. 60% of the global middle class by in the 2040s is going to be in Asia, folks. And you see the recognition of this just today, this morning, I was reading uh, some of the premiers, Premier Redford's comments about broadening the market, broadening our connection to Asia. That's where 60%, if you look at the growth in the EU or the USA, you can see in the EU and the, uh, the second and third one from the top, the EU and USA middle classes are going to be declining. And if you know anything about the uh, USA right now, you see it. I was in the U.S. for uh, three weeks here. actually just got back last Friday. And you can clearly see that the middle class is under pressure. And anything you read clearly tells us. We can see it in Canada. The growth in middle class incomes has not kept up with the growth of inflation. We've seen all, all of us are feeling that. All of us in middle class are feeling that. So you see more women, you know, young, my daughters, I have four daughters, uh, they all work and to maintain a middle class lifestyle. So we have to recognize that there, we, need, we can't ignore our major partner, 
which is the U.S. So over 80% of our trade is done with the U.S. So the council is saying, you know, you can't ignore them, but you need to take a look at where the growth of the middle class is going to come over the next 30 years, and you'd better prepare your marketplace and accommodate to that growth. So the theme one, theme one flagship, or the theme one uh, uh, theme was, uh, remember, releasing the full potential of our energy resource. And what we suggested as a flagship here was a global center for energy. And this has two, really two purposes, to develop our carbon-based energies. And often people think of carbon-based energies just in terms of oil and gas. We've got a huge coal resource I don't know if you ever drive north uh, Brooks and Highway 36. I mean, they're dragging coal out of the ground. It's surface mining. It's not that far below the ground. So we need to look at carbon-based energy in a different perspective. And we need to make, we see this, the council sees this center as a way to look at developing a more environmentally friendly way of developing uh, carbon-based energy. And we do have actually a model in Alberta for that. We have AOSTRA, which is the Alberta Oil Sands and Technology Research Authority. It was begun in the 80s. There was over a billion dollars invested in it between the private sector and the public sector government. And as a direct result of that investment in the 80s, it's taken 30 years, 25 years, you have the oil sands development today. It was a, a research organization that looked at how do we develop this energy resource in Alberta, the oil sands. And so as we move forward, what the council is saying, we need exactly that same initiative, exactly that same uh, impetus to look at how we make develop energy in a more friendly, environmentally friendly manner. If you watch CNN at all, you see the U.S., uh, on CNN commercials talking about clean coal. And we have a huge opportunity to be part of that, other than the fact that the federal government has put in some regulations which uh, make it very difficult to move forward on coal. And if you want to ask me about that after, I can give you more detail on that. But feds have made it virtually impossible to do clean coal investment in Alberta. So we need that kind of investment in clean coal, we need it in the oil sands to expand our oil sands. The oil sands will continue to expand. And if you look currently right now around water, we've got a couple of major issues in the oil sands. One is water and one are greenhouse gases. And if you look at the uh, greenhouse gas, well, look at the water issue first. They, for SAG-D, they, they have to heat water to get the, if you know how SAG-D works, they put two holes down, put a, two cross pipes in, and then they pump steam down the one, melts the oil, and they suck it up the other one, or the bitumen, and suck it. Simple example, simple, uh, very sim oversimplistic explanation. But they need steam, and they use huge amounts of water to do that. Right now, it's three to five barrels of water for one barrel of oil. And because they need steam, right, they've got to heat the water, and that produces the greenhouse gases. So we, uh, there is a project that I was involved with, uh, with General Electric, and we believe that project can reduce the water requirements in SAG-D by up to 50%. Now, just think of that. That does two things. It reduces the water requirement, but it also reduces the greenhouse gases because you don't need to heat so much water to uh, develop the steam to get it down there. So this is what we're talking about. We need 
an organization, we need an opportunity like this, and it will take billions. And I'll talk about where the money comes from at the, as the final initiative. What we're suggesting on as well, um, you know, in preparing Albertans to move forward, an Alberta Institute of Advanced Technology. That is, the theme too was broadening the economic base. And the flagship thing here is look at where we are strong. Develop an institute that is not on a university campus. We went and talked to the universities about this, and they were all keen, uh, three major universities. They were all excited to have to, it was a great topic, and each one of them wanted it on their campus, right? In fact, the Juan Enriquez, the guy from the U.S., who is really involved, he's an angel investor, and he's involved in startups, and he says, you cannot put this on a traditional university campus. It won't work. And so what he's, he just came to Alberta to be part of this, and he's actually doing angel financing now in Alberta, so he sees a huge opportunity here. He said, looked around Alberta and said, put it in Canmore, because the type of people we want are the young, aggressive people, and these guys and girls like to mountain bike, they like to ski, they like to hike. Put it in Canmore is what his argument was. But what we, it would be only concerned, its only concern would, with, would be with commercially viable research, period. Not basic research. It would look at the universities, work with universities, look at the basic research that is done in the universities, and then draw from that what they wanted or bring their own research, only commercially viable. Alberta's universities have been notoriously poor in technology commercialization. One example I will give you in time is the Alberta Heritage Fund for Medical Research. You may have heard about it. It was started by Peter Lougheed. And it's an excellent fund. still exists out there. It's over a billion dollars. It has invested. It's a, a fund where you just spend the interest every year. It has invested over a billion dollars in research, medical research in Alberta with virtually no technology commercialization. Our health care outcomes aren't any better because of it in Alberta than any place else. In fact, we have probably worse health care outcomes in many other provinces for a whole series of reasons. So we've spent over a billion dollars in technology uh, or in research at universities from AHFMR and virtually no tech commercialization. Universities can't do it. And I personally believe as an ex-academic, it is the wrong thing to be asking universities to do. Universities' job is basic research. We should not be asking them necessarily unless there's a very unique professor that wants to, to do technology commercialization. So this as well is going to take investment. This isn't done for free. Um, three, uh, third issue, if you remember, was preparing Albertans to prosper in a global economy. And really, we talked, the report talks about the importance of education, the importance of a whole series of issues. But what we settled on as a flagship was parity in, educa in educational outcomes for young Aboriginals. This is a huge issue, folks. In Alberta, we've got almost 200,000 First Nations persons. And 42% of those people are under the age of 19. And you listen to our industry talking, particularly our oil sands. We're going to be, again, and you remember what it was like during the boom before 2008, uh, real labor supply issues in Alberta. Well, guess what? 
we got 42% of 188,000 or 200,000 people under the age of 19. These people will either be part of the solution, the First Nations can be part of the solution, or they will be part of an increasing social problem. And I remember sitting around a cabinet table and trying to figure out, you know, how do you deal with these issues? But it always came up and said, no, no, this is a federal issue. And quite frankly, we use that as an excuse. You know, that's a federal issue. You know, you can't, you can't touch it. It's federal. And we have to do better in Alberta. We have to be able to work with First Nations and say, it doesn't matter whether this issue is federal. Let's work together as a First Nations group and as, as a government of Alberta to prepare it. Now, it's not all just on the government side either. When we did Water for Life, we wanted to talk to First Nations about, you know, their expectations and traditional knowledge around water. And I really, because we were dealing at the political level, the elected level, I really couldn't get much cooperation because they want to talk to the sovereign government. They're a sovereign nation, and they want to talk to the sovereign government, which was uh, the uh, federal government. So it's not just on the provincial government. There needs to be a change in attitude there. And I think it's there. There's some First Nations people that are thinking very differently than they used to. And so once again, I was involved with a project at the Alberta Water Research Institute where we were trying to figure out how you talk to First Nations people about water issues. So instead of trying to talk to the political leadership, we started talking to the elders. The project is ongoing today, and I can tell you it is a terrific project. The elders are talking to the people doing the research, talking to them about traditional knowledge and relating it to our current science in water. And guess what? There's huge overlap in terms of traditional knowledge and what our science knows. So we need to move very quickly there. Theme four was uh, providing a strong platform for Alberta to develop. And what we propose there is an Alberta Water Authority. And this is quite controversial because what we're talking about is taking the authority for managing water away from the government. So you can see the government roles are policy-making, regs, and for some enforcement and capital planning. After that, they pass it off to the Alberta Water Authority. So they write the legislation, they write the regulations. And we do have examples of this in Alberta. We have the example of the Electronic Recycling Board. Every time you go and buy a TV or something, you pay a tax. It's managed not by government. It's managed very well independently. You see their commercials on TV. We did that when I was Minister of Environment. My brother phones me up every time he has to buy something. He says, I just had to pay your lousy tailor tax again. So, um, you know, it's possible to run tire recycling. You know, the government created the legislation, created the regulation, runs very effectively, very well. So what we're proposing is an Alberta Water Authority that would either be a delegated administration organization like the recycling groups, or it could be a crown corporation like AIMCO, the Alberta Investment Management Corporation. So government is not directly involved. The most controversial thing here, and I don't have time to talk about all these issues, was water markets. And we, as a council, see water markets happening in Alberta. In fact, they are happening today, folks. When I was the Minister of Environment, we separated the water license from the land ownership. And so you can sell today in Alberta your land and keep your water license, or you can sell your water license or lease it or whatever you want to do with it and keep your land. And most people don't know 
And there's been over 50 trades since I left government of water. And the biggest trade you may have heard of, it was a $15 million trade where the Western Irrigation District um, sold water to Cross Iron, well, sold it to the county, and the county sold it to Cross Iron Mills. But none of this is transparent. Any of the other trades are non-transparent trades. And what we see, it's important for there to be transparency around water markets. And that will not happen unless there is a separate water authority. And you can argue, so we may have some interesting discussions after about selling water and selling water licenses. But, uh, you know, Maud Barlow runs around the country scaring people with inaccurate information. In Alberta, we have a law that says you cannot bulk water export. So any trades have to stay within a particular basin. So South Sask Basin, you can trade in the South Sask Basin today, and the trades have to stay in the basin. But as you may know, you cannot get a new water license on the South Saskatchewan River Basin. Zero, because it's frozen. So question is, if you have an industry like a potato chip plant or a potato plant that you have two of just outside Lethbridge that wants to come to Alberta, they need lots of water. They cannot get a license. So where do they get their uh, water from? They're going to have to buy it from somebody. Okay, so that's created uh, quite a bit of controversy, as you can well imagine, and uh, created some interesting discussion. Um, so I'll just... And then you can see, we see this as a shared decision-making model, the water, ins or the water Authority. So you have all the various partners sitting on a board of directors that's independent of government managing this. So you have the municipalities. You have the license, represent the municipalities, both the urban and rural. You have the licensees. You have practitioners. You have stakeholders like the Alberta Water Councils, the Alberta Water Council and WPACs, the uh, groups that, local groups that uh, make suggestions around Paul's. You, it becomes a, a stakeholder group that's ultimately making the decisions. It's a broad representation of people on that. And as I say, it's outside government. So how do we pay for all of this? Well, one of the ways we pay for it, and this, as I say, generated a lot of interest because what we're doing in Alberta, as you know, we're taking our non-renewable resource revenue from the oil, gas, coal, and spending it on operational costs. So non-renewable resources going to support operational issues. Makes no sense, right? And you see what exactly, we've had a perfect example of what happens. The last two years, what happens? We had a, went through a bit of a bust in the price of non-renewable resources. Bang. So what happens in Alberta? Well, they're laying off or firing teachers. You know, they're cutting, trying to manage health care so we can't uh, spend too much money in health care, which last year was about 45% of our budget and growing. Uh, in Ontario, it's uh, going to... In Newfoundland, it's over 60% of their budget. Ontario hit 60%, I think, in 2013, and within 10 years, 80% of their provincial budget. We have a non-sustainable health care system. And the only reason we're at only 45%, which is huge in my mind, is because we've got non-renewable resource revenues going into it. And non-renewable resource revenues take up about 30% or make up about 30% on average of Alberta's budget. It goes anywhere from the last 10 years from about 18% to 40% of the budget of Alberta, on average 30%. What we're saying is you take that 30% out, 
and you put it in an investing the future fund. So what do we do then? Where do we get the 30%? You know, it's not a, the Alberta budget is, what, about 30-some billion dollars, $32 billion this year. Third of that's 10 billion bucks, folks. It's not a small amount of money. But what do we say? You obviously can't do it all at once. So what we're suggesting is you take 3% a year out of the 30%, and in 10 years you got your 30% going into the fund to support the initiatives that we've been talking about, Aboriginal education, uh, you know, the Institute of Advanced Technology and Alberta Water Authority, which could be self-funding as well, but, uh, and the Global Center for Energy Research, because these need money. So 3% a year, I mean, it's up to Albertans how they come up with the 3%, but uh, that's where there's a lot of controversy and a lot of discussion. And one, you can do 3%, I think, by making some cuts and raising revenues. And here's where it gets, folks, to be honest. You heard the Minister of Finance, or if you didn't hear him, you probably saw the report in the paper two days ago speculating about a sales tax. And you heard the Premier today in the paper saying there will never be a sales tax. <laughs> okay? And uh, so I don't really know what's happening <laughs> inside the government right now. But you're, you're seeing a dynamic there where some people are starting to look at the future. And even if we keep our non-renewable resource revenues in health care, it's going to climb. You know, Ontario or Newfoundland, 60%. Ontario, 80% in 10 years. What are we going to do differently, folks? And one of the things we can do differently is look at different funding formulas. And the easiest way in my mind to do it, um, which would help free up the 30% uh, to do other things, really more important things for future, for our children and grandchildren, than paying for us old people to have a knee replacement, which I'm having on Monday, another one. And uh, so, you know, we've got to figure this out. And I think you could have a discussion with Albertans, if the government... Uh, had the intestinal fortitude to do it, about how much we should be spending on health care in Alberta. And I think you, most Albertans would agree 30 to 35% of the budget, you know, that's over a third, roughly a third of our budget, leaves two-thirds for education, roads, agriculture. And the question is, how do you make up the other 12% or 15% or whatever it's going to be as you grow? Well, could you do a sales tax that's only dedicated to 100% to health care, no administration costs? and do it in legislation so that uh, nobody can take any money out of it. It can't be increased without a plebiscite. It has to have a plebiscite to start it. I mean, you could put such legislative and regulatory structure around this that it would only go to health care. Now, are Albertans willing to talk about that? I don't know. I'd like to try and, you know, have a discussion with Albertans. And if we can do that, if we can reduce our dependence on non-renewable resources, so we're not in this boom and bust cycle, then we can support health care, we can do all kinds of things, and it's about the future. It's about the 20 to 40 year future of what Alberta is going to look like. Do you want us still in a boom and bust cycle in 20 to 40 years? And I'll conclude because my time is up. Government will not do this. Government will not do, particularly the last one, take uh, 3% a year and put it into a, a different front, a fund. So this really has to be driven from the grassroots up. It has to be driven by Albertans thinking, well, 
And some of you may think this is a lousy idea, and that's okay. But having a discussion, this is why I'm here today, to have a discussion with groups like yourself to say, is this a good idea? And if it's a good idea, we encourage you to start a grassroots action. We've met with chambers of commerce. They like it, or some of them do. Um, some don't. Uh, we've met with numbers of people that are positive towards having a discussion. This document is not solution-based other than these five initiatives. It's really discussion-based. We structured the document to have a dis create a discussion with Albertans. And that's why I'm here. I want to create all, make all of you think about some of these issues and create a discussion. Because all of you have time to discuss these issues. All of you have time to get involved. My kids don't have time. They're not interested. You know, my son-in-law is a chartered accountant. Uh, his wife's a speech therapist. I got three kids, two boys in hockey, one girl. She has dance classes four nights a week. You know, she comes to Lethbridge and competes in dance, for heaven's sake. You know, and so the question is, where do they have time? They don't have time. And because they don't have time, they're really not interested. It's people like ourselves that are a little older, whose kids are out of the house, that have time to think about these issues and drive these issues with our politicians. Thank you. I'd like to thank Dr. Taylor for his presentation. We'll now enjoy lunch. I just want to remind you, for those of you who are interested in uh, following up and addressing the, the uh, Premier's Council for Economic Strategies report, Shaping Alberta's Future, um, it's been added to our website as a PDF. And so you can download it from the site on the page where Dr. Taylor's talk is promoted. So we'll get back together at 1 o'clock for some questions. Thank you.